0: Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. My guest tonight is our new Vancouver-based colleague, Drea Humphrey, and she's talking about Black Lives Matter, what it's like to be a black conservative, and the things that she would like to focus on here at Rebel News. Now, If you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our premium long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get access to my show, which you're listening to right now. And I think it's obviously worth the price of admission. But you also get access to David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. And Ezra's nightly Ezra Levant show. Just go to rebelnews.com slash subscribe to become a member of Rebel News Plus. It's only eight bucks a month. You won't regret it. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus membership by using the coupon code podcast when you subscribe. That's rebelnews.com slash subscribe to become a member. And if you like the show, and I'm relatively confident that you will, please leave a five-star review wherever you find us. It's a great way to support the show without having to spend a dime, but it also helps other people Find us in the podcast feed. And now, please enjoy this free audio only version of my show. You're to Today, we have an in depth conversation with one of our newest rebels, Drea Humphrey. I'm Sheila Gunn Reid, and you're watching The Gun Show. You know, I might, might be just a little self-serving when I say that you don't need to be a classically trained journalist to do journalism. It's not a school that you graduate from or an exclusive guild that your competitors let you join. In fact, I think the only rebel on air talent that actually went to journalism school is David Menzies and I'm not so sure he got his money's worth. I didn't go to journalism school, Ezra didn't go to journalism school, and he founded Canada's largest independent news network. Kian didn't go to journalism school, Andrew Chapados, he's not gone to journalism school. Neither has our new Vancouver-based colleague, Drea Humphrey, and I think that's probably to her credit. I like to say we're news for the normals, by the normals. I like to ask questions and cover stories that I know families like mine are curious about or care about as opposed to what the mainstream media tells us we should care about from their comfortable cubicles in Toronto or Ottawa. Now Drea's been with us for a few weeks now and I want to learn a little more about her and I think you'd like to learn a little more about her too and the things that she cares about and the things that she'll be focusing on and so I thought why not have her on the show to do just that. Now the interview I recorded with Drea I'm going to be honest, it's not my usual studio quality recording. It was a simple Skype conversation between her and I over this past long weekend, both of us taking time out of our long weekends with our family to do a little work. So please look past the framing and the audio of it all. And please enjoy this interview I recorded with Drea this past Sunday when she was at her home in Vancouver and when I was in Revelstoke, B.C. with family. from her home in Vancouver is one of my newest rebel colleagues quickly becoming one of my favorites um Drea Humphrey Uh, you know what this is how I know if the other guys watch my show (laughs) I'll at least know they're watching my work um Drea I'm I'm glad to have you on the show this is the first time you've been on my show I know you've been on David's show Rebel Roundup a little bit um the first thing I wanted to talk to you about and I guess it's kind of the obvious you're a black woman you're a black woman who's conservative and you are very critical of BLM how did you end up being critical of this movement that says black lives matter and so I guess everyone must support
1: it well I'm glad you called me black because Joe Biden sure as heck wouldn't um I think it just came down to how I was raised and I was raised uh, to treat people as equals and that's how I've always wanted to be treated. So as soon as I see any group, doesn't matter what it is, um, you know, that's in my opinion actually telling black people that they can't achieve as much things or or that you're sort of limited or or you're in some kind of box simply because of the color of your skin that's not really something that was resonating with me nicely. And then the more that I looked into the organization, um, you know, the more I looked into what the leaders were saying, I found a lot of what some of the leaders were saying as racist. And I know that they seem to not acknowledge that you can be racist against white people, but saying things like um, prevent me or Lord help me not to kill white people. I mean, quote unquote, it's not exactly the same way, but basically... I mean, that's not something that I'm for. I love people of all skin tones. And so to have the, the leaders, the founders speaking like this, and then, you know, then I learned that they're self-proclaimed Marxists. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that's totally not what I stand for. So, you know, the more that I just really looked into it, and I, I wish other people would really look into it, I realized, number one, they're not talking about the what seems like the primary concerns as far as the most immediate threat to, if we take it to the Floyd situation, to black Americans. If we start there and we look there, you know, they're not addressing black on black crime. They're not addressing the family life. They're not acknowledging that there was some changes with the second act um, when Trump signed that. That helped actually, um, you know, keep people back in their homes, take them out of the prisons for a long time. So, It's just such a mess. And um, even when I look at the Canadian Black Lives Matter and they want to abolish the police, I mean, none of these things I stand for. Uh, So, yeah, I don't stand for Black Lives Matter. You know, it's
0: funny because these people who support Black Lives Matter, and it's so often a bunch of virtue-signaling upper-middle-class white kids um, with the black Instagram posts, and they're advocating for fewer cops in black and marginal communities and that's how gangs overtake black communities but they don't have to deal with those uh, bad policy ideas because they're living in a fancy neighborhood somewhere else and they've never been touched by the problems plaguing minority communities especially in Toronto.
1: Yeah I don't know if you saw any of the Uh, Videos on Twitter and stuff of a lot of white people in the name of Black Lives Matter going to black areas and vandalizing the areas and wrecking the the businesses, the black owned businesses in the areas in the name of Black Lives uh, Matter. So I don't know what's going on. I've got a video coming up where today I was just I'm black and indigenous and I was booted off of a public park uh, for not I don't know. I don't know. You guys will have to wait and see. But basically, by Indigenous people. So <laughs> it, I'm starting to feel like it's less about the color of your skin and more about if you agree with the left or not. I'm I'm starting to really see that that's kind of what it is for a lot of the things happening right now in general. Yeah, I, it it truly is about
0: politics because, it, and it's it's about progressive politics and Marxism and. The abolishment of the family, we saw just a couple of days ago, some white and I think African or black and may I, I mean, they're just pro-life activists is what they were. Mm -hmm. Let's not even put a label on what they were. They were pro-life activists. They went to a Planned Parenthood because they tend to plunk these things in minority neighborhoods because I guess... The left thinks it's better off not to be born at all than to be born poor. And yeah. they painted on the ground, black baby lives matter. Mm-hmm. And those pro-life activists were arrested. And all they're saying is black babies deserve to be born too. And they're taken away in handcuffs. Yet you can vandalize everything with BLM hashtag BLM mm-hmm. spray painted on somebody's property, loot their stores
1: and you, you're free. They don't arrest you. Exactly. And I hate to use Kanye West as a, as an example, <laughs> but I mean he's everywhere right now. But you know, they're they're really attacking him for for getting emotional about how um his daughter was almost aborted and how that resonates with him and he's really sad about it and they're just making him sound like that's a crazy statement and whether you're pro-life yeah. or or not I think you should be able to comprehend the fact that he has a daughter that wouldn't be here. And you know, that's emotional for him. I don't see why that's crazy there. So, uh, you know, there's just nothing illogical right now about the far left. I I can't connect the dots. So help me God.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And they did like, you did a really fantastic interview um, the other day with the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. And he really had some, uh, he pinpointed where the problems are. If you care about, um, the black community, if you care about the problems plaguing it, um, as you rightly point out, black on black crime, um, criminality, recidivism rates, incarceration rates, um, drug abuse. He says it comes down to the fact that families in the black community are not intact. And those those problems, those same statistics overlay into white families experiencing the same problems. If your parents aren't together, if you're not born into a stable home, you are at greater risk of those things, but nobody wants to talk about it because then it takes us into feminism, doesn't it? Because it takes us into, well, women can have it all and you don't really need to be married to have a baby. And you, you, you can have everything you want. You don't need a husband. Um, and people sort of forget that there are children who are living with consequences of feminism, I guess.
1: Yeah, that was Kevin McGarry, and he had a lot of good things to say. And he does a lot of videos that are really, he really goes out into detail and explains, um, you know, contradictions with Black Lives Matter. And that's one of the things that he points out. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're you are dealt the cards you're laid with. and obviously, if you're born in a two parent home, that's a good two parent home, you're going to have some better odds, no matter what color your skin is, you know, i I grew up in times, you know, we were poverty, we were living in poverty. And sometimes my stepdad was there and not. And so even with that, yes, it sets you back in some ways. But at the same time, I still don't like the idea of teaching my kids or anything like that that because of the color of their skin they're set back or even because um you know during my divorce or something that they would be set back what happened to encouraging your kids encouraging young people that they can achieve if they work hard uh you know anything anybody else can i i used a reference one time like if my child was born with one leg i would really want to instill into them just how much they can do and how much they can that they can learn and adapt and make people respect them because of what they've overcome so I'm, I'm kind of worried about all of these young kids I've seen them I've gone to events and I don't I can't tell if they're Antifa I can't tell if they're Black Lives Matter I can't tell but I can tell they're very young and so I'm a little concerned with the fact that they're kind of having this this attitude now and this belief and yeah scary <laughs> they're they're told that if they
0: they won't achieve in the world it's somebody else's fault yeah you know like the i was raised to think the world didn't owe me anything i'd have to earn it all Mm -hmm. and now kids they are are told completely the opposite you Mm -hmm. are owed something and if you don't have it somebody else took it from you and Mm -hmm. that's i mean what a generation we're raising now changing lanes a little bit we could talk about this issue forever um (laughs) changing lanes a little bit you're also sort of on the mandatory mask beat um and that's really something that you've been concerned about and I think it was sort of the reason you came onto our radar is um you know you were you've been at these freedom protests in uh Vancouver Luckily, Vancouver isn't going down the same road that the rest of the country is that they're bringing in mandatory masks now that the pandemic is over for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is behind this push for these cities now that not only have we flattened the curve, it's, it's there was no curve to start with to flatten. Why are they bringing in the masks now?
1: Well, I'm just going to take it back and just touch a little bit of my journey sure. with masks. Sure, please. Okay, so, so... I bought N95s back in January. I stocked up on them before there was any shortage uh, because I followed just not mainstream news media. And I knew there was whistleblowers in China being silenced of some crazy virus that's spreading fast and killing people. And so, you know, I was like, oh, better get N95s, which are the most qualified masks to actually help you from this situation. So I bought that. And I'm the type of person who has, um, you know, enough emergency supplies, should there be an earthquake? You know, isn't that what we're told to do? I have it in my car, I have it in my house. um, You know, sometimes we dip into the food, I replenish it. So that's how I am. That's how I think every Canadian should be. So then I had (laughs) this government who started shaming me. And I and that was the first like, weird thing i saw with the mask. so they're like there was this real shame if you had the correct type of mask if you went out and you bought for your family and you were prepared it was like no you're not allowed because you're you're not um you know a frontline worker and don't get me wrong i get that however the government had thrown away millions and millions of masks and not replaced it the liberal government and so, but the, the citizens were reading the headlines and getting mad at the people who, who were prepared for them and their family. And that's where the hate was. And I can remember wearing an N95, I don't know, maybe February or something. And, you know, people giving me dirty looks. And I had one guy intentionally hacking on me. So I've been through the whole motion with the mask. And, and it really made me sort of distrust the health, uh, our health officials, as well as the liberal government, it made me distrust their judgment because they weren't able to get it together. They weren't able to acknowledge uh, what masks, um, if masks were helpful, what type were helpful, and they were also kind of encouraging. I thought shame, and as you can see, is all they have to do is give a suggestion, and and people will quickly react to shame and judgment so I do believe there is a time and a place for mass I do believe they play a role in pandemics and I have lots of friends in Japan and that's always to date been a good country for us to look at with COVID and they're all like you know what mass are not mandated here um, you know, many of us wear it. It's pretty common to yeah. wear it, especially if you're in a small place like that. But there's no blanket like you have to. There might be a store you walk into that says you haven't and everybody just kind of applies. And and so you had a country like that go through it. And then you had us take forever to even acknowledge, you know, Teresa Tam, to, to acknowledge whether or not it's helpful or not. Like like there's never been a pandemic before. She's been on the World Health Organization as one of seven pandemic doctors for years upon years, I mean, yeah, I think ten or twelve years ago she was in a documentary saying, "As soon as there's a pandemic, you gotta lock healthy people up and then ask later if you if you overreacted." Yeah. So I was just like, "What's going on?" You know, I really realized you have to do what's best for your family, and you have to look at the numbers, and they have to make sense. So here we are now. If you look at the numbers. It doesn't make any sense to be mandating masks in Canada, of all places, based on the numbers that we've had. And so that's where I go into freedom of choice. It's not that I won't wear a mask somewhere where, you know, I, I can't socially distance and there's some elderly people. I'm not some... I don't know I don't want to scare people either but at the same time I don't need my government to force me to put masks on especially when they couldn't get their act together and tell us to wear masks when we should wear a mask I think I have a better opinion about what's best for me and my family based on their actions lately
0: oh that's so phenomenal and no I I, I've been with you we've been in Toronto you have to wear a mask in an uber
1: Mm -hmm. We wear a mask
0: in an Uber, like we're respectful of the people around us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we stand away from people if we're not wearing a mask. And I I think that's just social courtesy. I don't have the cough. I'm not going to give somebody the cough. But if they're uptight about me being a little too close to them, I respect that. You you know, like I'm not here to scare anybody, Mm -hmm. but there is a lot of fear and misinformation. And I think a lot of that was bred by the government. And yet now they're the ones running around saying that we have to fight misinformation about the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I do too. That's why I think we have too much government.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, this whole misinformation censorship thing. And then, oh, that's like a whole nother topic there. But yeah, you're right. And And you have people saying they, like, I remember in the Uber, he said, yeah, you can't breathe in this thing. And it's just It's just, you know, the forcing. I think that that is a dangerous, slippery slope when we start throwing our rights away and saying, yeah, we're so scared that you can now force us what we need to wear. Like, I don't understand where Canadians don't connect the dots there and say, you know what? No, you're you're overstepping. Thank you very much. We understand. We appreciate it. But don't don't mandate masks on us, especially with these numbers. So. Um one last thing I wanted to talk
0: to you about, and it's still on the coronavirus topic. You did something that I have not seen anybody else really do. You oh. saw that, the well, yes, and, uh, you know, I'll get to that in, in a second, but you did something that I don't think a lot of people could have done. You saw the fact that the coronavirus um, cases were not manifesting themselves in the homeless community in uh, Vancouver's downtown east side the way that government officials had promised.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, these are people already who are, you know, largely, a lot of them are immunocompromised, underlying mm-hmm. issues and underlying infections that do put them at risk of a, a whole, a number of other things. Plus, they are living in less than sanitary conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time the rest of us turn around, you know, we have to Wash our hands and wear a mask, and they don't that's just not how it works down there it's just not part of everyday life. You did something i haven't seen anybody else do, and you went down to the downtown east side and uh, you asked the people who are on the ground there what it's mm-hmm. like, what's happening, what it's like to be in the age of the cough when you mm-hmm. are already living in a marginal community and uh, you did something else and you treated these people with dignity. Um, life has uh, you know, been hard. Um, some people do choose to be there, some people don't. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we do a lot of talking about these folks on the street, but mm-hmm. not a lot of talking to them, um, which I think is pretty admirable. You treated them um, the, the way we would treat any other person that we were interviewing mm-hmm. on the street, and
1: I don't think they get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the most important. It, it's all about treat others the way you would like to be treated. That's how I was raised. Again, that's why I don't agree with Black Lives Matter. <laughs> um, it just ties into it. Uh, a lot of those people are just down on their luck. And like you said, there's different cir- circumstances. It could be mental health. It could be the cards that they were dealt with. It, it basically just comes down to treating others the way you want to be treated. That's how I was raised. That's why I'm not a huge fan of black lives matter because, uh, they're not treating people nicely with respect and in an equal way. And, um, you know, the homeless people are, in my opinion, just like you and us, but different things have happened. They've had different walks in life and a lot of times it has to do with their childhood and the cards that they were dealt. And sometimes it has to do with other things and you make a few bad decisions and look where you are. So, um, I don't really see them as a population that's kind of too different than me just with different circumstances. So I guess it was natural or natural for me to, um, just talk to them and get their opinion on, on their own neck of the woods.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that was the part that I really liked is you're like, this is their neighborhood. So why wouldn't I talk to them? Why would I talk to the activists who are speaking for them? Why don't I talk to them? So Um, I think by the time this goes to air, that video will have been out because we're pre-recording because it's the August long weekend and I'm sort of kind of not supposed to be working, but here I am. But uh, I do, uh, I hope everybody checks that out because you did treat the people of the downtown east side with um, a lot of kindness and respect. Mm -hmm. Um, Drea, before we go, because it is a long weekend and uh, you shouldn't be working and neither should I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you a a work question, I guess. You're new to the company, but yeah. the great thing about working for Rebel News is that we have all this freedom. I think that yeah. other journalists don't get, like they get a s- stories assigned to them and they have to cover what they're told to cover. And, and of course they cover it in their own biased way. And s- so do we, but we're yeah. upfront about where we're coming from. <laughs> yeah. We get a lot of freedom to cover the stories that we care about. Mm-hmm. So uh, my question for you is, Going forward as one of our newest Rebels um, and quickly becoming a fan favorite, yeah. what are the things oh. that are on your radar? What What drives you? What do you want to talk about as Drea Humphrey, Rebel journalist?
1: Oh, okay. In the hot seat. Um, you know, I think I am going to continue following the mandated mask just because... My gut tells me we're not seeing the end of these types of mandates and these types of rules. So I think that that might expand into some other things. And I think that I'm not alone in those concerns. In fact, I'm another video coming up where I'm interviewing a lawyer, he thinks that those are very valid concerns, that, that could there could be other things that are mandated. So I think I'll follow that. And also, I feel like we've heard about the second wave so much that I feel like it's coming. It's coming whether the the numbers add up to it or not. So I want to watch that closely and just see how accurate kind of mainstream media is reporting on that to people. Um, And I already have some ideas. I'll I'll run them by you, Sheila, to make sure sure (laughs) I'm not way off on left field. But I have some ideas (laughs) of, of maybe just kind of calm down, people. Let's take a breath here. Let's let's dissect these numbers for what they are instead of the the crazy titles that you guys are seeing that make you want to stay in a bubble locked up the whole time and um you know i would love to do more topics uh, if we keep going down the abolish the police uh, road i would like to do more topics that kind of challenge that i know i said before on david's show that i have been talking to officers who are not even able to come out publicly and speak about it. And they have some really good ideas about where money should be allocated and how it would actually help um, even reduce police brutality, but also do things like uh, help more cold cases be solved and things like that. So I think that there needs to be some more voices about what what the silent majority by staying silent is actually kind of putting at risk. To letting go, or or seeing cutbacks, or whatever it's going to look like. So those are some of the things that I'm interested in, and I hope the viewers are interested in those as well. Well,
0: they are interested in your work already. Like I said, you're quickly becoming a fan favorite. I know that the fact that you're on my show this week was a request from a viewer. Actually, oh. I think it came to us. It came in via a super chat. When people pay me money to super chat, <laughs> um, I gotta do what they say, and I I, I jumped at the opportunity. So. We'll have you back on the show very soon. Please enjoy the rest of your long weekend, whatever they call it here in BC.
1: <laughs> yes, family family day is coming up tomorrow, so yes. You too, okay. Sheila. Okay, bye welcome. guys.
0: got a unique perspective because of her background and where she lives. I admire her for seeing the human dignity in the downtrodden, to speaking to people the mainstream media won't, and for telling their stories. And you know, it can't be easy to be a black conservative or a conservative in Vancouver, and Dre is both. So you know Dre is a woman of strength and integrity. She is who she is, even when people say she shouldn't be. And I cannot wait to see what she does next. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'll see everybody back here or in my studio in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.